friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Welcome. So glad you're here this morning. Uh, If you don't know me, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to share this morning. Uh, I'd love to just start by thanking uh, all of our volunteers, staff, worship team for last Easter Sunday, three services, um, amazing weekend. God is doing so much. And for me, it's such a privilege to work alongside people that I love. Um, Man, what an honor. And so this morning, I'm really excited to begin a new series, which is basically a continuation of our last one, and we're just kind of naming this one Encounters, which is people beholding the resurrected Jesus. We've been in this idea of of, uh, discipleship begins with beholding, right? It begins with seeing Jesus clearly with revelation. And um, so this, this new series, we want to see what happened to people who, who behold the resurrected Jesus. What happens when people meet Jesus after he rises from the grave? And what does that have to say about our lives and how Jesus shows up and how we can see him in our lives as well? And the beautiful thing is we're going to see how Jesus shows up for each person or group of people um, and how he interacts with their specific need or situation. How he deals whatever the task is at hand, whatever the motion is at hand, he shows up and his resurrected person ministers directly to the people who are there. And so we're going to see how Jesus shows up on the Emmaus Road with this couple and they're dealing with disappointment. We're going to see how he shows up in a locked room full of disciples who are afraid. We're going to see how he shows up for Thomas in the midst of his doubt. We're going, to show up how, we're going to see how he shows up for Peter in the midst of shame after Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus shows up in the midst of Peter's shame. We're going to see how he shows up in Acts 1 when all the apostles and all the people are together and they don't know what to do. They're confused. They have no idea what the future holds. And they're like, okay, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he's like, no, 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 just wait. Jesus shows up when we don't know what to do, when we don't know where to go. And this morning, we're going to see how Jesus shows up for Mary Magdalene in the midst of grief. Like the resurrected Jesus, how he shows up in his resurrected body in the midst of people's loss and pain and grief. So if you've got your Bible, open to John 20. So we see this story, right? The disciples run to the tomb because Mary shows up first. She goes while it's still dark. She sees that the stone's removed. She just immediately turns around. She knows something bad has happened in her mind. Jesus' body, somebody's taken it. She runs back. She tells the disciples. They run there. They look in. They see the cloths, and then they head home. But verse 10 says, then the disciples went back to their homes, right? But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me for I've returned. I've not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This passage, as we've prayed over it this week as a staff and talked about it as I've just ruminated on it, it's amazing how much is packed into one little passage, how much we can see here. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a quick look at the passage, some of the details here, and then I want to unpack what this looks like for us a little bit more practically. So I love that Mary shows up at the tomb first. Like everybody else is still asleep and she set her mental alarm because I don't think there was alarm clocks back then. She was like, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go to the tomb and I'm going to prepare Jesus's body for his actual burial. This tomb was just a temporary tomb. At some point they'd move him to a different one. So she's like, I'm going to get there. I love Mary's heart because it is first priority love for Jesus. Just right off the bat, she's like, I'm going to wake up before everybody else. I want to be the one to do this work, this really special work with the Lord. I want to be the one. Mary shows up first. And it's fascinating that she shows up, she sees the tomb open, she freaks out, she runs home, she gets the guys, they come, they look in, and it's really interesting in this passage that they look in and they see the cloths, but they don't see anything else. And then they just go home, which is a really rational decision. Jesus is gone, someone's taken his body What is there to do? And they just go home. But Mary lingers, weeping. And she stoops and she looks again. Isn't that interesting? She she takes a second look and she sees angels. (laughs) One at the head, one at the foot where Jesus laid. And it's this crazy thing that you're like, why did Mary see the angels and the men didn't? Isn't that interesting? Just never, I'm sure I've had that thought before, but it really hit me this week. And I think there is a key in this passage about why Mary sees more than they see. And I think that this key that God just showed me was tears. There's something about tears that when people bring their emotions to God, that they see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. And there's something about lingering and waiting on the Lord and not just looking at your situation rationally and then moving off to make decisions that seem perfectly fine in the moment. There's something about the waiting and the weeping that Mary gets a different vision. She gets to see angels. She got this unique experience. Isaiah 40 says this, right? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who are willing to wait get a different portion from the Lord. Waiting and weeping. So Mary sees angels, and the fascinating thing is she's one of the only people in the Bible who sees angels and is totally unfazed. <laughs> Most other times in the scripture, people see angels and they fall over like they're dead. They're like, ah, and the angels always have to say the same words. They say, do not be afraid. 
Mary sees two angels and is just like, Get, I don't need you guys. I need Jesus. Where is he? Do you know where his body is? Because I will take care of it. Tell me where, is it, where he is. She like just has zero time for the supernatural miracle operating in front of her face because they're not Jesus. Just tells us something about Mary. She's like, I only care about him. One thing I ask and that I seek, that I would dwell in your house forever, that I'd gaze upon your beauty. Mary had this one desire in her heart. She doesn't care about anything else. She's just not phased at all. Where have you put him? Then she hears the voice of Jesus. And it's fascinating. Jesus in his resurrected body somehow has the ability to be seen or unseen. And then once he's seen, he has the ability to either be seen for who he is or there's some kind of ability to shroud his identity because Mary sees him and doesn't know who he is, but it's fascinating. She thinks he's a gardener. We should go back to the creation story. We're in the garden tomb, and what does she think? She thinks he's like oh, just a gardening guy, and she says the same thing to him. Where have they put him? And it's fascinating because this kind of thing, as we move forward to this idea of where is Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, how do we meet him in our grief or pain? I just need you to know, just because you don't recognize him in the moments doesn't mean he's not there. Mary had no idea Jesus was present. And yet, he was there the whole time. He never left. Right? And then what does he do? He calls her by name and something happens. This shroud is lifted and she realizes he's there. And Mary's seeking Jesus. I love these men. They, they say, who are you seeking? What are you seeking? She's obviously after something. And I just want to tell you, friends, there's something about deliverance that leads to a different kind of devotion. When you have been delivered from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and you can articulate it, you know where you've gone from darkness to light. It will lead you on a path to say, my only desire is to know him, to be with him. She's seeking him. Jesus finally reveals himself to her. And what does she do? I love Mary. She just jumps on him and embraces him. And she's clearly clinging so tight to him, he has to say, hey, okay, don't cling to me. And it's interesting because I think his don't cling to me is because he's got other things he needs to do, right? But what I want to focus on is Mary's desire to cling. Like her instinct in the moment is to get as near to Jesus as she possibly can and hold on. And then Mary, by the wisdom of God, gets chosen to be the first human being to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. She's the apostle to the apostles. She is the first one to say, I've seen Jesus. He's alive. Isn't that amazing? Man, Jesus loves the people. He just loves to pour out revelation to the people who just are after him. Who are just like, I will not stop looking, seeking, asking, knocking. I'm just going to be after him for my whole life. So a few things I just want to say. One, one is just for you this morning, I don't know where you're at and I don't know what's happened in your life, but I know if you've been along long enough, if you've been alive long enough, you have some pain and you have some grief and you have some loss. And I want you to hear Jesus is radically available to those who grieve. 
That's what this story says. First and foremost, he is radically available to those who grieve. Number two is that the way out of your grief and sorrow is to seek him. And when you find him, you cling. <laughs> that, that's the thing. When you are in pain and loss and grief, what you should be is be after him. And when you see him, you latch on. I've always been amazed at how strong a baby's hand is. I don't know if those of you have had a newborn. When they do this thing, they get on your shirt and you're like, man, this thing. And you're like trying to be gentle, but you're also like, wow. And then you're like, man, my kid's got a grip. And you're like really proud of him. And you realize like every baby's got a grip. It's not really that special. But it's like this thing about when you get to a place of safety, your desire needs to be to like cling on. And that's who Jesus is. He is that person. So what does this look like? As I was just praying and reading this week, um, there's this term in the New Testament that I love, and, and it's this, this two words together, and it says to hold fast. Hold fast. And, and I just want to say most of our life is going to be spent holding fast to Jesus amidst all the disappointment, all the grief, all the shame, all the confusion, all the doubt, it's going to be holding fast to him. When I was in college, um, they used to do sermons on tapes. Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? And uh, Todd and Greg would listen to these sermons for Willow Creek, and I got one from John Ortberg, and it was about faith, and he made this statement. I was 19, I'd never forgotten. He said, sometimes faith is just holding on mustard seed. <laughs> You're just like, I've got enough faith to hold on to Jesus, and that's it. And Jesus is like, that's enough. If you have that, I am radically available to you. So what does this look like, this holding fast, this clinging? How do we do that? The first one I just want to say, like, if you're in the midst of this thing, and, and again, uh, it's, it's all of us, so I, I shouldn't even say if, because we are all in the midst of this life. The first thing you do, I love Paul in Philippians. He says this, he says, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Like the first thing you do when you lose things, when you lose relationships, or you lose your business, or your marriage goes down the drain, or someone that you love dies, is you cling to the word of life. You cling to Jesus, the man. Because here's the thing, when something like that happens, all the stuff you think and believe and have opinions on get tossed out the window. <laughs> all your really neat and clean doctrines and all this stuff just get obliterated, and if you don't have a, a relationship with the man, Jesus, then you will not make it. I can just tell you. You will walk away because all that stuff does not matter anymore. It doesn't work. So I've had this thing that I will not believe any doctrine that doesn't work in the hospital room of someone who just lost someone. I'm like, if it doesn't work in that room with that person, I refuse to go around in Bible studies and Sunday schools and our little groups, seeing all these niceties. I'm just like, I'm done with that stuff. If I can't look somebody in the eye in their worst moment and tell them this thing, then I just, I toss it. 
And it's amazing in those rooms how true the Bible is and how true Jesus is in the simplest forms. So when these things happen, you cling to him. What is true about Jesus? I love Mary. She's like in the midst of this. She sees Jesus and she just wraps him up. So we cling to him. What what do we do next? We cling to our confession. Hebrews says this, since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. I'm just going to tell you, friends, you have to hold your confession because we have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in your life every day, and he wants to just chip away at your confession that Jesus is Lord and that he loves you and that he's good, and that he has a good plan for you, and that you have a hope and a future, all that stuff, you've got to, and, and what we've seen in the last 30 years with the decline of the church is a lot of Christians who have hold their confession lightly. They've held it loosely. They haven't protected it. They haven't done the things they need to do to just stay in it. And this confession, it's interesting. It starts in our heart. Peter says this, he says, in your heart, set Christ apart as Lord. So one of the things that you have to do when you're in the midst of pain and grief and loss, you have to get to the heart of your confession and cultivate it and protect it. It starts in the heart. It's easy to confess Jesus out here while in your heart you're doubting and you're angry and you're bitter. So you've got to tend to the heart. In my heart, Jesus, I set you apart as Lord. You are Lord and master of my life. It doesn't matter what's out there. Inside here, that's who you are, and I'm going to cling to this thing because without you, I have nothing else. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave also? And Peter goes, where else would we go? You're the only one who has the words of life. I love that. Peter's almost like, if there were somewhere else, we'd be gone. Believe me, because this is getting weird. (laughs) Like, I don't know where this is going. And yet, my heart, I love that song, my heart burns for you. So I have nothing else. I have no one else. I have burned all the ships. I've got no other options. It's you, Jesus, or nothing. That's it. Hold fast your confession. And then the last one is you you cling to hope. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. I I think I've got that one on my phone. Yeah, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So the first thing is you hold on to Jesus. What's what's true about him, who he is? You hold on to your confession. What's true about what he's done for you? And then you hold on to the hope that exists in those two things. And you have to hold unswervingly. You're like, I'm not going to the right or the left. Right? Like, Andy's dad gave us some of the best advice ever. He says, never make any huge decisions when you're in the midst of transition. He's like, if you've had a baby or you just got married or you just got a new job, don't make any big decisions. Just hold the line. (laughs) 
And in the midst of grief and pain and loss, you've got to hold unswervingly to Jesus. Because that thing you think might be a one degree course correction, by the time you extrapolate it out, you end up years far from God, far from the church, and honestly, far from hope. So he says, hold unswervingly in these days and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. This is interesting. He connects unswerving hope with holding the meetings sacred. And I just need to tell you, like, there is something about the church which houses hope in a way that you cannot house it on your own. Because you can come in here with no faith at all, and the person next to you is singing faith, and you just have to sit there and say, like, I can't sing that song, but thank God that the church can sing it, because I need it. I don't believe it right now, but I need to be around people who believe it, because I know it's there. (laughs) I'm just in pain, and I've lost. I don't know what to do, but man, I just tell people all the time, it's like, where better to cry than in the church? You're going to weep at home alone. Don't do it alone. Come to church and do it in the midst of people. And I know it's awkward and weird and you feel like there's like a giant spotlight on you. But guess what? Most people don't notice. But some will. And guess what? You'll get ministry to your heart because they'll come and say, can I pray for you? Are you okay? Let me tell you about the hope I possess in Jesus. Okay? So what does that say? I love this. When you are in grief and loss, the scripture tells us to draw near and hold on. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's what you have to do. You have to draw near to God and you have to hold on for dear life. Um, and can I just say, God doesn't expect more of you in that place than those two things. That's all he asks you to do. When you are hurting and pain and loss, you're confused. You don't know what to do. He's not like, hey, get it together. Do all the stuff. Keep it in line. He's like, no, 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 no. Just come close and hold on. I've got this. He's not a harsh master. He's gentle and lowly. (laughs) He's meek. So what happens as you do this? I love Colossians 2 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. From the whole body, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth from God. So what does that mean? That means our calling is actually to hold fast to him. And it says, here's what happens as you hold fast to Jesus. You get nourished and knit together in your joints and ligaments. If you'll hold fast to Jesus in the midst of your grief and pain and loss, you're abiding, you get connected to the vine, guess what happens? His life starts to flow into you. And slowly but surely, that life begins to take over your life and you get knit together. Your joints and ligaments, you never think about them until they don't work. Right? Never think about your Achilles tendon until you strain it and then you can't walk without pain. You're like, oh my goodness. God's like, you're living your spiritual life injured. And what I want you to do is I want you to connect to me because I want to strengthen all those areas of your life with my life. 
And then listen to what happens. After he nourishes you and strengthens you, he grows you with a growth that only comes from him. And I don't know about you guys, but I have hit times in my life where my growth pattern isn't enough to get me to the place I need to be. My intelligence, my abilities, my love for learning, and all this stuff cannot touch what life has given me, and I need the growth that comes from God. But the beauty is he's offering it. He said, hold fast to me, and guess what? I will knit you together. I'll grow you with this growth. So those who cling to Jesus have this opportunity to be nourished and strengthened by God and have a growth that isn't possible in any other way. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to spend some time in prayer and worship and hopefully have like a little bit longer response time uh, today than we usually have. Because I think this is so important. I think... How you deal with your pain and grief will dictate so much of your life. It'll dictate the quality of your relationships. It'll dictate the quality of your mental and emotional health. It will determine whether or not you seek to be near God in the church or whether you draw back. And the example of Mary is so important to linger to not move out of the tears, to wait and to look. And I think that's the invitation for us today. And it's not with the promise that every single thing in your life will get fixed this side of heaven if you do these things. Like, Jesus doesn't give any false promises. He's like, hey, this is a broken world wrecked by sin, others and your own, and some things might be tough for the rest of this life, but thanks be to God, our victory in Jesus Christ, because we have hope for another life. Where there is no tears, there is no death, there is no suffering, there is no sickness, there's no accidents in heaven. It's a place of safety and wholeness forever. Yesterday was the 15-year anniversary of losing my first wife, Samantha, in an accident. And I can tell you, God has given me recovery and restoration like so undeserved and so much better than I could ever ask or imagine. And yet, there's things in my heart I know will not be healed until I meet him. And I've made peace with that. You know why? Because like Mary, I can say, I have seen the Lord. That's it. I've seen the Lord. His goodness in the midst of those things and places where he was present and I didn't recognize them. And then I go back, I'm like, oh, he was there. He's always been there. And my great desperation for you and for this generation is that you would have the testimony of Mary. You could go out in the world and say, listen, everything's not great, but I have seen Jesus. I've seen him. He's alive. 
and he loves me and he loves you and he gives you someone to cling to in the midst of all the devastations of life Prophet guy way back in the 1800s. It's um, just eyes closed. He just—I re- just want you to receive this. As, uh, the Salvation Army, William Booth. He had somebody sent out to try another location, and the guy said, "We've tried, and we tried, and we tried. We've prayed, we've asked, we've worked, and it nothing's happening." He gets back a letter from William Booth with two words, and it says, "Try tears." said, I began to pray with weeping, and before you knew it, God began to work in ways that you could not imagine. So this morning, I just want to ask if the places in your heart that are raw, places in your life where you need restoration, where you have encountered pain and grief and loss, the good news is you don't have to try tears, you have to, you already have them. <laughs> question is, have you tried them in the right place with the right person? And I think today is the right place. And I think Jesus is the right person and he's radically available to you. Not necessarily to fix everything in the moment, but to give you a person to embrace whose love surpasses understanding, whose peace can flood you like a river, who can strengthen you and stabilize you, knit you together and grow you with a growth that 15 years from now, you will look back and say, I could have never imagined what God was able to do. So I'm gonna invite our prayer team up.
back. We don't cover up. We don't fake it. We're going to bring our whole lives under the lordship of Jesus, our living and our dying, our joy and our grief, the beautiful parts of us and the ugly parts of us, and just say, Jesus, have it all. So Jesus, I just pray right now that you would come in your resurrected power by your Holy Spirit and you would peel back the layers, Lord, of our hearts and you would get to that place that's wounded and raw that we've been afraid to uncover and would you bring your healing balm this morning and would you gently cover it up and would you speak to us about who we are in you? about what you're doing and about where we're going, would you allow us this morning to cling to you? Because we are like Mary, nothing else will do, Lord. Nothing else will do. God, I'm craving and I need you.